This is The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by brothers Nate and Brian Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. I'm Jim Carr, consultant, speaker, and author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. And I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys about why professionals have so much more confidence in what they offer than in how to talk about it, and the forces that work against effective messaging, and how to build trust through everyday conversation, and how smaller firms actually have advantages over the big guys. So let's talk. Welcome to The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair. We have, uh, I think, an exciting show today, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good, pretty darn good. I got some big news today, Nate. Are you ready to hear it? Yeah, what is that? We have, I don't know how to work this thing, but there is a new soundboard in the uh, recording studio here, and it looks really nice. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that's, a, that's about all I, I know how to do with it. So the show must be going well that we have uh, this much money in the budget to, uh, to right. really enhance the show. I like that a lot. Yeah. So if, if you tell a, like you could tell a joke and if oh. it bombs, which, you know, some of yours do. Oh, wrong one. There it is. I hit it with that one. <laughs> well, that's exciting. It's, uh, that's new. <laughs> So, so what's let, up today? Who we got on the show? Uh, we've got Mr. Jim Carr on the show today. Jim is a speaker, uh, entrepreneur. He's a great guy. And what he really talks about is how small to medium businesses manage their message, uh, how entrepreneurs should approach that. And so what Jim does is he, he coaches a lot of people. So coaches them not on, you know, his whole saying is most of the time people are extremely confident in their offering, whatever mm-hmm. they're doing, yep. but how they deliver it and how they tell it to other people and how they tell it to their customers. Oftentimes there's a gap there between how confident you are and if you really dig and if you've got you know a little bit of time and how you're just putting yourself out there as a business. So really his is about coaching and, and making the most of the opportunities we have today. Cool. Cool. So what else is new? We got, uh, we got summer rolling in here. We had our summer. first 80 degree day, but now it's back yep. in the fifties. So yep. uh, that's a good thing. We just got done with uh, mother's day. So that was fun. Happy mother's day to all of you yeah. uh, mothers listening out Put there. Put my boat in the lake recently. Uh, that's exciting. An Did experience. you uh, have any, have any blowouts? Uh, no, but I had a helper, a guy who uh, knows a lot more about things than I do. So that's, that was very, very helpful. That's good. No no instances where we blew the motor up like no, uh, no. six years ago? Uh, nothing like that. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was a fun experience <laughs> if you've ever had a melted boat motor. Yeah, it's great. It doesn't work <laughs> and then you're in the middle of the lake and it's uh, and you look back and there's oil all over the bottom of the <laughs> engine compartment. No good. What well, we can assume to be oil anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll, I'm going to throw out a bullish today. Nice. Okay. This is a topic that is not new to anybody. Uh, nor are we experts in this topic. Okay. However, I feel we haven't addressed the elephant in the room. Okay. okay? And that is crypto. Oh. Okay? Cryptocurrency. Uh, I like to call them NFTs. Right. You know what NFT stands uh, for? Something, something token. Non-fungible tokens. Right. Mm-hmm. So they are not fungible. And I've spent a lot of time over the last year or so with uh, a lot of people that are very uh, they're experts in this field. Cert- actually, self-certified experts? I bought my first, I bought a couple of Bitcoins a few years ago. 
And in typical fashion, I watched him go up. They went up like three times. Right? I bought mm-hmm. them like four, five, six thousand. Watched them go up to like fifteen, twenty. And what did I do? I sold them. Mm-hmm. So right. anyway, I still own one that I think is going to go to a million. But <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an expert in it. But but I am bear, or excuse me, I am bullish on it. Um, the reason being is everybody wants to control everything, mm-hmm. right? Central governments and all of that. And they want to control this too, but but they're going to have a hard time. Right. And I just think in today's world with everybody you know, doing their own thing, just doing things differently, that it's got legs and these companies are getting behind it. And obviously, you know, Elon Musk is a big, it's hard to tell exactly his angle, but I think uh, my prediction is Amazon, right? Amazon's mm-hmm. going to be the game changer in this when they're like, all right, we're, we're doing this. This becomes a everyday thing. Now it's going to take, in my opinion, a few years to get people's mind around, you know, I got this wallet, I got this coin, I got these things. How, what do I do with it? But I am, I am very bullish long-term. Uh, I don't know exactly which one, but I'm bullish long-term. That's the, you know, your mind around it is the interesting part of the whole thing of it. It's it, you, you want to take that new concept and immediately jam it into whatever box you know of, of like right. how money works. And a guy I was talking to the other day said, you know, you have, he said, think of it as like you have shares of Bitcoin or Cardano or whatever. There's a million of them now. Right. And he said, think of it as you have shares of those and they're like a stock. Yep. He said, if you walked into a gas station, why really is it any different that I couldn't take my TD Ameritrade account where I own a GE stock and pay for something with a portion of that stock? Like it's still money. It's still got value. It's still worth something. But just that. You know, as you sit there and think about how it works, you have to kind of reframe how you think about money. Yeah. And you and I were talking the other day, you know, you walk back into that same gas station uh, and you see the, the you know, the two-pack Twinkie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two-pack Twinkie sitting there and it's usually 99 cents. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, and then you're like, okay, I don't got any, I got Bitcoin. It's point zero 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 eight coins to buy this Twinkie. And you're like... <laughs> Can you translate that back to dollars for me, please? So there's a lot to do and a lot of transition, but it's happening. And I think anybody who's, you know, just sitting on the sidelines is fine. Uh, but I would say if, if you're going to do it, certainly don't put your uh, lunch money no. in because you just never know. No. The challenge and what I don't really understand, and I am going to invite, I've got a guy that I know pretty well that that truly is an expert in this. Like he, he blows my mind with the stuff and I don't understand any of it after mm-hmm. he's, in the moment I understand it. And then 20 minutes later and someone's like, hey, what'd he say? I don't know how to repeat what he said. And he's more than a YouTube expert. He is. He is an actual <laughs> investor, uh, runs a fund, a, a fairly large fund. And so I'm going to get him, I think, on the show here in the coming nice. weeks. That'd be interesting. Um, and I don't understand the differences, right? You know, you got 57 different. Yeah. I don't, that part escapes me a little bit as to how does something, you know, win? And then once it starts going... These things have to feed off one another, right? Currency, that's what it does. You got the U.S. dollar and China and whatever. Like, it, it all moves off of one another. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I understand how uh, all the coins eventually, if they're in the general public, will move off of one another. I don't. So get, I've got some very specific questions for him, and I'm going to get him on the show. I don't get that either. And, and is it like, you know, back in the day when there were Blu-ray DVDs and uh, HD DVDs? Right. And the movie industry or whoever was like, we're picking one. 
Like we're making the choice yep. and one of you was on and one of you was off and they picked right. Blu-ray and HD disappeared. Yeah. Or if a company like, like Amazon says, yep, we'll accept Bitcoin, all the rest of this, no thanks. Right. Or will they say, hey, here's the seven currency we'll accept. Right. If they do that, the rest of them are going to take a take a dive. Yeah. It'll be um, highly fungible. I don't know yeah. what fungible means, but highly or, or non-fungible. You never There's know. some words that he throws out that I just I shake oh. my head and I can't follow. A guy was talking to me the other day and he was talking about the languages and I'm like, are you are you are you making words up right now? Yeah. Like I swear he said it was like something about the Millennium Falcon or something in there. Yeah. I think oh, he yeah. was just messing with me. So anyway, I'm bullish. I think you should be bullish and don't put your lunch money in it. <laughs> don't be too bullish. No. <laughs> uh good. I'll give you another one on bullish on, and that is that is today's entry back into workplace and the kind of modern day dress code of the suits and ties of old days, right? Which we already saw kind of making their exit, yep. right? They've, you've changed. Like, I, I don't wear ties anymore. Obviously, I wear suits on certain occasions, but not very often. To went kind of 180 during coronavirus, where I think a lot of people right. didn't leave their sweatpants. But now coming back in, you don't see people buying new suits. People, I think, are doing a much better job of of pairing, you know, sport coats with jeans right. and button downs. They still look very nice, but it's not the old school stuffy way of the way of the past. Uh, listen, I'm in agreement. I've, uh, I feel like I've been that way. I, I've been there for years. Yeah. Uh, the tie, if somebody comes into the office and nothing against ties, but you know, somebody comes in your office looking nice, wearing a sport coat, I don't care if they have jeans on, if yeah. they look nice and their shoes and all that, uh, versus they come in with a suit and a tie. In my mind, it doesn't. Uh, once you get to a certain level of, how hey, that guy looks or gal looks pulled together, right, presentable. then you're good. I don't elevate the guy with the tie and think, oh, this guy, he's, he's the Somebody. real deal. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm in 100% agreement. I think there's some people that push the limits. Uh, nothing wrong with a t-shirt and a uh, sport coat, but kind of depends on the setting and what you're doing. You know, the kind of t-shirt and, and all that. But uh, I, I'm in agreement. I think that's going to change big time. And I do think if that's the look you're going for, like, let's just take jeans, sport coat, and a button down, yeah. fairly classic, right? Like, do a little homework on how that works and how you put that thing together. There are certain <laughs> kinds of jeans that you wear with sport coats. Yes. And if shoes. Shoes, shoes are big time. matter. Yep. If you're going to have a sport coat like that and try and look nice, I'm not saying you need a $2,000 sport coat, but like spend the extra money to get it tailored. Like yep. have it brought in, have the sleeves the right length. I mean, just... Put a little extra care into the and thing. And if you find somebody who can help you put a few things together. Yes. And yeah, you got to spend a little money to do it. But again, you don't have to go every year and do it. You, right. you do it once every three years and you kind of re-up yeah, you just a little bit. Add. Throw the 1990s suit out. <clears throat> yes. And uh, keep moving. But I think it's, uh, especially a lot of young people, they're like, well, I don't need that. And I, it's fine. My Levi's will be great. My Dockers. But mm-hmm. I think the investment in yourself and when you present to other people is, is probably worth it. Yeah. And, but I do think it's a heck of a lot more comfortable to dress that way. I think you look nice and, and a little more in today's look when you dress that way, you just feel better and Agree. You, you don't, the suit just doesn't, yep. doesn't do it for yep. me. And, and if you're on a zoom call or, or anything work related, um, I guess if you're Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, which which is a topic for another show, <laughs> Billy G. I guess the T-shirt will work. Uh, if if you're not one of those people, 
t-shirt probably isn't the go-to that's my personal belief that's correct it 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 makes whatever you're wearing makes a statement either positive or negative so yeah just err on the side of caution on that yeah before we get, get maybe bring, we can get bill gates on the show i was now. just gonna say now he's before, got more free time before we bring the the guest on do you think billy g's just got his single summer lined up um he's just gonna hard be to tell in vegas and miami and i i think he's a i don't know i would bet he will be probably um but i don't know what his uh thought process there or, or what has, i'm sure everybody and their brother will tell us what's happened do you think, over the next 30 days do you think bill will have a hard time finding a another possible suitor uh, i don't no <laughs> i i do not believe he will so well that's uh unfortunate so yeah we've got both, but uh, a great show today jim uh i'll talk a little bit about his you know resources he's got available on his site things he does but uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring Jim on the show today. There's that soundboard again. There I we promise go. I won't wear that out. All right. Welcome, Jim. All right. Well, welcome my guest to the show, Dr. Jim Carr. Jim, how are you doing this afternoon? I am terrific, Nate. It's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, I've enjoyed the podcast. Love what you're doing at Gradient and especially like because I just have this sense that your audience is right in the crosshairs of some things we can talk about that are going to be really valuable to us. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'll uh, let Jim introduce himself, but Jim is, uh, as I said, Dr. Jim Carr uh, has, gosh, Jim, I couldn't count the number of degrees you have, but it's a lot, a substantial amount. How many it, is it? It's too many. It's too many. Yeah. Uh, go on to eBay and I might be able to work with you <laughs> for anything extra. So Jim, Jim is an author, a speaker, a coach, a consultant. He runs his own podcast. Uh, if you go out to his website, Jim Carr, that's K-A-R-R-H dot com, you can see a tremendous amount about him and the content content that he puts out. So what Jim is here to talk about, and I'll let him uh, do a better job than I will, but really it's about leaders, entrepreneurs, and managing your message. So Jim, I'm going to open the floor to you and give us the foundation, a little about you, and then the foundation of managing your message. Sure. I'll do just a little bit about me. I don't want to bore anyone, uh, but w let's get to the crux of the chronic and very expensive problem that I, uh, I see for business professionals, if you're running a small firm or even a, a bigger business. My background is a mix, Nate, of I am a PhD. Uh, don't hold that against <laughs> me. Uh, I studied audience behavior, mass communication. Um, I've, I've worked as a professor and researcher doing market research and the like. Uh, but I, I left the uh, the ivory tower years ago. I was offered uh, to serve as the chief marketing officer, CMO, by a consulting client. And he said, Jim, I think you should get a real job and, uh, and, and come to work for me and lead our team. So I did that for a while. And then uh, the last more than a decade, uh, I've been working uh, privately as a consultant and uh, doing, as you mentioned, some speaking and writing. Mostly I work with executive teams, with business-to-business -business salespeople and entrepreneurs, but someone who has uh, for themselves and for the benefit of their business, they basically have something to offer that is complicated or seems complicated. It's higher value. It seems risky. It's confusing for the buyer. And thus, the actual conversation matters. So it's not just a an inexpensive consumer good. I'm not dealing right. with that sort of world. So helping people get to the crux of the problem, which is unfortunately 
most professionals who do know their stuff and do have a lot to offer are far more confident in what they offer than in how to talk about it, right. especially in just everyday business conversations. So you think about getting the right conversations with the right people and focusing your efforts and the basics of what to say and show and ask and do when you are able to engage your ideal clients. That's great. And so let, let me uh, uh, make a few analogies here. Uh, sports world, right? Uh, I think everybody in the world is, is pretty good at drawing up game plans in the locker room, right? Every, every game plan you drop in any locker room should be a good one. And then when you step on the field or, or on the ice or whatever your sport is, uh, we know things change. So can you relate, uh, you know, when an entrepreneur or a leader of a business, you have to be confident, you know, internally, right? The, the products we offer, the services, until you, you know, step on the field or, or the court or the ice. So why don't you start, if you would, by what is the biggest challenge when you have the game plan? Uh, some game plans are better than others, but, but generally people have a game plan. And then you are forced to step out there and do it. What is the biggest or the couple biggest challenges you see from the locker room to the, to the field? One of the biggest challenges from the get-go is that this whole field of whether you want to call it marketing or messaging or uh, business development, it encompasses so many different things, at least potentially. It all seems to kind of run together. And so um, here's what it is not from my perspective on what really can grow your practice, grow your business. This is not about a clever pitch. It is not about a script. It is not about your mission or vision. And it's not even about your passion. I, all of those things, for reasons we can talk about, actually get in the way of having a real human conversation that leads to, to more business. So the first thing you have to do is, is figure and focus what is this messaging thing really all about. Uh, the other, as you were making that analogy, I also, Nate, was thinking about, was it Mike Tyson that says everybody has a plan until they get punched it, in the until face? Until get punched in the face. Yeah, that one came to my <laughs> mind too, but you're exactly right. Correct. So... The, the things what we don't want to do is overly script it or plan it, uh, and winging it doesn't work either. So right. when we think about good, effective conversation, you need a plan with a structure and a sequence behind it, and this is an area most people get wrong, of, of what that sequence should be. And then giving yourself some freedom in the moment to, to be able to deviate from that uh, and, and use different tools and different things depending on whom you're talking to and where they are in their decision-making process. So when I put together plans or advise people on how they should do it, we think in terms of a playbook, which has talking points and visuals and plug-and-play elements. You can use all the way from your LinkedIn profile to, uh, to how you answer questions and, and, uh, and respond to opportunities and close more deals and all those things in between. So having a plan, but giving yourself some latitude. So it can be your voice, uh, but you're not trying to just rely on our memories. Because how often, Nate, do you think of the perfect thing to say about five minutes after you were going to say it? You know, that's uh, when you give speeches, I think, you know, what you said there, when, when you give a speech, anybody does in front of a, let's say a larger, medium, larger audience, uh, you know, you have slides, you've got some people have scripts. I've never been a script guy because they're hard to stick to and they, and they don't. But then at the same time, you've got, you know, your talking points and you're right. You, 
most of the time you get a lot of it, but then when you get off the stage or you leave being with a client or whatever your, your thing is, you're like, man, I should have, I should have done this and then I should have done that. And hopefully you got 90% of it, but, but you miss a lot. So let's, let me ask you, Jim, when we're talking about your message, are you talking about an all encompassing, you mentioned LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, one-on-one, are you talking about your, your business as a whole, or are you talking about I'm face to face with somebody? What is my message? Well, I think those things are, are closely related, or right. at least they should be. So, um, especially for the members of this audience. And so you have a, a thing that you're selling or probably a portfolio of right. high value solutions that you have and a, uh, what should be a, a pretty well-defined ideal client profile. And so when you think about what are the best conversations you want to be in that are best for your business. And so I think these things fit together and they should fit together in a, again, a logical and emotionally relevant way as, as you put all, all that in. Here's where I see Nate and for everyone where, where business people, business professionals and high value sellers tend to get this wrong and they get really frustrated and it's ineffective. So see if this makes any sense or if this sounds familiar to you. So the first thing we want to do, and again, this is the common case. This is not what I'm recommending. What, what commonly happens, we need to establish our credibility. So I've got credentials. I got experience. I got a lot of clients that I've helped. I may have some, if I'm selling into uh, other businesses, I may have logos that I want to show. Right. And so I need to go out there and let people know how I'm different. I want to establish differentiation, establish my credibility. And yet, especially when it comes to financial services, wealth management, <laughs> investments, yep. that is a very mysterious world. And your potential clients, it all kind of mushes together. And it's really hard to establish differentiation. Even by way of regulation, there's certain things you can and cannot say. Right. Absolutely. So that becomes really, yeah, so that becomes very frustrating. So we think, well, how can I prompt a sense of urgency? How can I push this along uh, because things are moving too slowly. So, well, maybe if I rebundle or I do a bunch of promotion or I pay for a bunch of dinners or whatever the case might be. And, uh, and, and sometimes that can be frustrating. And so uh, then it becomes, I'm trying to work backwards and think, I just need to educate the market all over again. Listen, uh, the market typically doesn't want to be educated. And so what, uh, so let's, let's flip that script a little bit. Let's flip the sequence. And here's my guiding principle for all of you high value sellers out there. What you want to do is as best you can map your activities and map your conversations according to a uh, prospect client's decision-making process. And here's what I mean by that. And, and sometimes the, the, this process can get truncated and, and, and the like, but, but in general, if you're going to buy something or consider buying something that is, Again, high value, you have a lot of alternatives, you have, it can seem risky or confusing. You have to answer for yourself three questions. And you have to answer these questions for yourself, even if you're not consciously aware that you're doing so. Here's the psychologist in me coming out. We tend to go through this process. So the first question we ask ourselves is, why should I consider changing? Changing what I'm doing now. Uh, because as much as we all talk about change, and change is happening faster, yeah, yeah, none of us like it. Correct. And so if it's making a different investment decision or different financial decision. So sometimes that is, there's a life situation that forces us, but for the most part, we have to 
like there's, it's, there's something that's painful enough or a big enough opportunity that I have to at least consider change because that comes with cost. That's the first question. And then I have to think, well, why would I consider changing that thing now? Because we all have great ideas. We all have things that we could be doing, but we can't do 25 things at once. So typically it's two, three, four major areas of change that we can actually follow through on as buyers. And then finally, it's, it would be, hey, Nate, why you? Right. Why your idea? Why your product versus me doing it myself versus a, a competitor or a competitive set? So what tends to happen when I first describe is going, trying to go backwards. Is trying to say why me, and then say okay why now, and then why change. That doesn't tend to work very well. Right. So when it comes again to, to high value types of offerings, your conversations and all the way from what you're doing online to especially, I think most of, of your audience, like if I can get people either in person or on the phone or on a Zoom call, you know that's where the magic really happens. Yep. So having those conversations is focus more on the change case and the sense of urgency and priority before you start talking about yourself too much and trying to establish differentiation. Let's map along with the way people make decisions. I, I think that's good. So why should I, that, the consumer, uh, and I agree with you, you know, a consumer that's sitting in front of you to some extent, if it's in the advisory or any business, they've kind of already gone through that process of why should I change and is it now or is it later, right? They're, they're not out you're not out trying to meet new financial planners or, or any other you know, car salesman for that matter uh, if you haven't somewhat moved down that path. So let me ask you, I read on your website, uh, on your blog, you were talking about, um, let me try and just phrase this the way, is that when people uh, are looking to change, they how you interact with that person, right? Somebody comes into your office and for whatever reason, and generally in our business, what, what I always find is, you know, sometimes the time isn't right, right? I like you. I, I, it's just the timing's not right, which is your kind of point number two. But when they come in your office or when you're talking to somebody about making a change, you wrote a lot about, you know, it's easy to beat up on everything. Oh my gosh, what you have is terrible and I can't believe your person did this. What are your thoughts and ideas on, you get that opportunity to get in front of a potential customer or client, uh, some, some tips and some things you wrote about that you should do and that you shouldn't do. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a great overall point. Here's another mantra that I would uh, recommend that people keep in mind because establishing trustworthiness is a big deal. No matter, no matter what you're selling, we, we have that a lot. So um, again, it's psychological shorthand here that, that in professional services, that trustworthiness is a balance of two big forces. One is expertise, the other is empathy. So the expertise is that you know your stuff. The empathy is that you get me. You understand where I am yep. and you have my best interests in mind. I think even if we don't mean to, that sometimes some of the things that you just mentioned can undercut our empathy. Even if we know we care, if we go in and on the one hand we can say, oh, whoa, your finances are a mess. Right. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe you've, you've made it this far. Then what we're doing is we're, we're challenging their judgment. Right. Right. So it's better to say, you know, a lot of people who are really smart people that their circumstances just haven't been able to get this stuff together um, and assure them that you work with people like that, that they're not idiots, that, that you work with people a lot in similar kinds of situations. You also don't want to tell people, I know, I know exactly what you need, 
without even asking a whole bunch of questions and going in. Or I work yep. with people who are exactly like you <laughs> because there's a little switch in our brains that will go off and go, well, no one's exactly like me. I mean, you know, on the one hand, I want to know that you work with people like me in this sort of situation and you can give me a better condition. But at the same time, I want you to listen to me. I want to feel understood that, um, that you're not just in it for yourself and that you're going to tailor your recommendations and what I do according to my situation. Cause I only go around the, the block once you have lots of clients. I only have one me. And so that's, that's the, the mantra again, that I would recommend you always keep in mind. Yes, it's the credibility and your, your expertise, but also an empathy. And it's only through that back and forth in conversation that we can really show our empathy and our willingness to listen. Good. When you talked about the playbook, okay, I don't want to give away all your secrets here, but what are the elements uh, within a playbook? If somebody's sitting there saying, you know what, I understand what he's talking about. I'm, a lot of us like to do it, think that we're a lot further along than we are, right, in any business. But you're mm-hmm. self-actualizing, saying, you know what, I, I got to rework some things. What are the elements in a, at a high level of, in your mind, the playbook for any business? And it's really no big secret. And there's nothing here that to some degree you probably haven't heard before. Right. right? It's just, but it is having a plan. Uh, and when I work with, with companies uh, or individuals, the playbook, it can go by different names. We can call it a conversational guide or a messaging plan. Or I had one who, client who said, it's kind of like a recipe book, right? I just kind of want to, if I were going to put together, like uh, my wife said, oh, we got guests coming in tomorrow night for dinner. You know, what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to look and in my pantry and my refrigerator right. and freezer and spice rack. And I'm also going to find out, does anyone have any food sensitivities or that they hate curry or whatever the deal is. And so we'll put together something for them. I want you to approach your conversations that way. Again, with a plan, not a script. Now what goes into your playbook obviously can differ. Uh, but a lot of the common elements would be if you haven't articulated it, which means put it on paper or on a whiteboard or on a screen, who's an ideal client for you or a best fit client and knowing exactly who they are, their situation and, and where you, those are the people you know you can help a lot, not just somebody that has a portfolio. Um, then also could be, maybe there's some different kind of types of, uh, of personas and what would be the common questions that you would want to ask? What are the right stories that you could tell and, and things that you could share in given conversations at different points along that decision-making chain? So again, is it someone who's evaluating change? Are they trying to establish priority or are they trying to decide between you and somebody else? And so there's, there's going to be a little different flavor to that part of the conversation. So really tying those things together. The other, the other part about this is that you'll get, if you go through this and a lot of people have it in their heads. Uh, and if they have a, uh, a team, even a small team, people have a little different conception in their heads and it's a really good exercise to go through and make this a, a common framework and say, oh, we really do have a sense of, not, not that we won't serve lots of different kinds of clients, right. but who would we say? If we put down, what is, what's the best fit? And when do we help them? Um, I know of, for example, CPAs who specialize in working with family businesses, especially those in transition, or architects who have a certain kind of thing. So you probably, if you're a investment manager, financial planner, uh, there's probably a, a type of person or a type of family or a type of client in a certain kind of situation that's really in your sweet spot. And so I think th- to go back to 
you know, what's in your LinkedIn profile, what's your short description of what you do at the, the top of the website. You want to reflect that. So when people get that first impression, it's like, oh, that's kind of like me. Yes. Or even if it's not me right now, it gives a trigger. Like um, I, I specialize in working with clients who want blank blank. Yep. And I, that sets you up for, for having a good fit over time. I think that's that's a great idea. And, and you know, just like anybody, I mean, when you're kind of depends on what you're, what stage you're in and your business cycle, but when you're newer, um, you know, the answer is who do you serve? And, and the answer is yes, right? Anybody and everybody. And as you get <laughs> right. going, and we've had a lot of conversations recently with, with advisors and, you know, I think some of the clients that aren't for any business as good of a fit, it's because they came in under, you know, I can help these people, but they're really not, you know, an ideal person. And so when you are able to have the confidence and have the the ability to say, you know what, Mr. And Mrs. Client, you know, I'm not sure this is the greatest fit. Either one or two things is going to happen. They're going to say, I agree, I'm leaving, which, okay. Or number two, to say, oh, you know, I, I don't want to leave. I mean, that that's not my... So I think you got to have, you know, your business has to be at that stage and you've got to have that, you know, that maturity and that ability to, to, to have those conversations. But you're right. If you ask most businesses of any kind to say, who's your ideal client? What do they look like? You know, what are their characteristics? I don't think you'd get, you might get an answer from one person, but you're not going to get an answer from the entire organization. Yeah. And it, it really pays dividends for you to be able to go through that exercise. And, and part of it's emotional too, Nate. I mean, I, I took sure. on a client um, a couple of years ago, really as a favor to a friend and it didn't fit my profile very well. Right. And you know, it, it just didn't go as well as what this person, frankly, wore me out. Yeah. And they wouldn't follow my recommendations. And, and, and those are things I think any of your audience members, if, if this seems a little abstract and think about a couple of your clients or a handful of your clients that you really like, you like working with them, they get your best work, they follow your recommendations, it doesn't, not blindly, um, but and you know you're doing great work for them. So what are the common threads? You know, how did they find you? What was it? What's their motivator? What is it about them? That's such a good fit. And then the patterns will become more apparent. Yeah. I, th I think that's good stuff. So one of the, the final topic I want to discuss with you is something that you and I were talking about and in, in our, before the recording here. And in today's day and age, I think in my mind, there's kind of two schools of thought. We're seeing so much innovation and so much happening right now where people want to, um, you know, they want to see new things coming. I mean, times like this is where most successful companies are born. I think we would agree with that. But you have a point where you say today's environment and individual entrepreneurs, people starting businesses have an advantage over the, uh, the establishment, the big 177 year old company that's, that's big. And Talk to me about that. Why do you think that's true today? I think the, the entrepreneur or the smaller firm has advantages with speed and personalization. Uh, and, you know, it takes uh, 18 committee decisions for a lot of big yep. firms to change. I take this back. Um, my background as a chief marketing officer, real briefly, was actually in, it was a little bit business to business, but also business to consumer. I was in the bottled water business. You think, <laughs> Jim, people buy, pay for water? And I go, yeah, they also pay for manure and filter. 
but our stuff's better. And, uh, but I was working with a, a really small niche, single source, uh, high level spring water uh, bottled here in the middle of the U S and that put us in categories against Coca-Cola and sure. Nestle and Pepsi. And all have these big brands with huge distribution. We were a, uh, just a, a very, very small part of there. But in my second year, we won an award from, yes, there is such a thing, the International Bottled Water Association. Very good. We had the best marketing program <laughs> in the global industry. And it wasn't, I don't think it was because we were that clever, but it was because we could make a decision and we were close to the marketplace and we didn't have to go through different different units. And so if you're the, if you're smaller, you know, you can adjust your conversation. You can make decisions about what comes out of your mouth quickly. And that's the good part about what I call managing the message, because you don't have to change necessarily your pricing or your business model or your distribution or even the people in and around your business. It's just making some conscious choices and doing some planning about how you talk about the business. And again, that's something that you can do quickly and, and do it in a personal, uh, agile uh, flexible way and that you can run circles around the big guys that way. Right. I hundred percent agree with you. I think, you know, you, you mentioned two words, speed and personalization. That is something that larger firms in general don't have. I mean, you think about any of the big firms and some of it use it to their advantage, not in the financial world, but in other worlds, you know, being large and being process oriented is, is an advantage. But I agree with you when you look at new businesses starting, that's what everybody wants today, personalization, right? How are you going to cater to me? And I agree with you that you can't, every customer you have, it can't be totally different. You can't run a scalable business on that. But to me, those two words, speed and personalization is something that in my mind, when you go back to seeing, you know, what, why do people trust you? Why do they like you? Why do they believe in you as a business? And those are two words that I think are, are extremely important. And you're exactly right. And just, it reinforces what we we're talking about before. If you want to establish trust and trustworthiness, remember that it's equal parts expertise and empathy. And it's, it's frankly harder in the, if you're part of the, the big machine yes. to establish that empathy, the expertise is there, uh, but that, that doesn't have to get in your way. You can actually uh, do a, a, a better business sometimes as a smaller player. Right. Well, Jim, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the final word. If I'm a business owner, I'm a leader, I'm listening to the show and, um, you know, you, you're thinking about all the great things, like I said, in the locker room that your firm does. And then you look at your process, whether it's your meeting process. Um, if you have any advice, you and I talked a little bit about as the world shifts and we're not, we were, we were forced for the last 14 months to not be, you know, across the table face to face with people. We were forced to, as you and I met the first time on, on Zoom, give me one or two tips you have for when you do a virtual meeting, uh, give me a tip or two that you think is super important when you can't uh, read the person as well sitting across the table. Well, let's not not use that as an excuse, first of all. And we would all agree, hey, look, I can read body language. I get the vibe in the room. I'm I'm better in person. Yes. Yes, you are. Yes. And uh, we'll have more opportunities to do that going forward. However, uh, you better have this in your, your toolkit about how to work well virtually. Um, and so my bit of encouragement and then a little tactical advice real quick. The encouragement is you don't have to be perfect. No one is. And so you just need to be consistently good because most of the others out there aren't consistently good. 
the thing that I see tactically um, when it comes to Zoom meetings and things like that, and, and I'm amazed. We're a year past the start of the pandemic, Nate, and I still see people who have their laptop in their laptop and their, their webcam is going up their nose. Right? No one wants to see that. So you, we would agree that in face-to-face, you're better to be at eye level. Put your camera at eye level. Get some decent lighting. And uh, if you have a window behind you and your face is in the shadows, you look like you're kind of a missing person's yep. report. That's another thing. In person, we want to see faces. Let people see your faces. Look at the webcam straight on. Um, look at faces and then just be yourself. That's You'll good. be all right. That's good. Well, um, I want to repeat, uh, if you want to, there's a ton of good content. If you want to contact Jim, his website is Jim Carr. That's dot com. Like I said, he's got his blog, his podcast, all kinds of tools and resources. And, and he could certainly be a resource individually as well as in group settings to anybody here be it uh, virtual or, or face-to-face, as we're hopefully uh, getting back to face-to-face. Jim, are you having any more face-to-face group meetings yet or in the near future? It, it's interesting. It's just uh, starting back in my world. So a lot Good. of, whether it be a speaking engagement or workshops or things like that, still mostly virtual, but I have a, yep. a corporate client that does a virtual town hall for about 5,000 employees, and they are... They can't get everybody together, but their leadership team, I'm meeting them to help host and facilitate that. They're saying, we're going to get at least that part together and not make it like the, ter- the terrible Brady Bunch. <laughs> right. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Jim Carr, for joining me. And like I said, check him out. Got a ton of resources out there. But, but Jim, thank you for sharing your insights with, with all of us today. My pleasure. And I enjoy your podcast, and I really like the work that you're doing with Brady. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim.